Well, good morning, Crossbridge. My name is Brett Anderson, kind of like Jimmy said. Um, and I'm a CB youth leader here. Uh, in addition to being an elder, um, I think it's really important that I put the CB youth leader thing first, because that's really important to me. Um, but I have the privilege of leading, through us, leading us through God's word today. If you're a guest with us today, I'm glad you're here. Our hope for you is that you continue to take one step closer to Jesus, the same thing that we expect and hope for everybody here at Crossbridge. As a good portion of you may know, I used to be a social studies middle school teacher. If a kid started in fifth grade with me, they would learn history from prehistoric man all the way to the turn of the 21st century. Now, in the vast scheme of things, that's probably really only about 1% of the human history that comes between sharp rocks and the internet. Um, but I always got a kick out of the fact that the textbook made internet a vocabulary word, like a teenager or preteen would have to remember it um, and wouldn't already inherently know it. The punchline, though, for me was always trying to explain what the internet looked like in 2001 to a kid from 2022. Very different. But in the vast gulf of human history, one thing that is pivotal to our story as human beings is agriculture. Agriculture is all the different ways that humans farm and the reasons that they farm. It's why almost every single one of us in here isn't a farmer and is able to do things besides hunt and gather food. Those of you that are farmers, thank you. You have a hard job that doesn't always get the respect that it deserves. As a professional educator of teens and preteens, I had a variety of tools for getting a kid to learn something especially during the more dull topics in our textbook. I could be a whirlwind of force and energy, making the most boring topics in my class at least engaging. But there was one thing that, I was just, that was just always out of my hands, something I couldn't control. If a student wasn't hungry for the knowledge that I was throwing at them, there was nothing I could do to make them actually receive it. It was amazing how much pressure I felt as a teacher to try and make sure students in my room were better and smarter humans when they left than when they had first entered. But at the same time, I had to, uh, sorry, but at the same time, I had to realize that all I could really do was keep presenting the material to them in different ways, hoping that they, would in, that they were in the mood to receive and connect with something that day. Even though there was nothing I wanted more, I couldn't make them learn. Sure, I could assign mountains of homework and enforce a silent room with just textbook reading, but that doesn't mean my students would learn anything in that environment. How they responded to the material was up to them, not me. But as a teacher, it was made clear to me, both by administration and parents, I was responsible for whether a student felt like learning that day. Have you ever felt something like this before? Not so much what you're teaching somebody, but being responsible for how that teaching is going, how that student or that person receives that information. There's a lot of weight to carry for something we can't really fully control. But what's wild is I wonder, how often do we subconsciously take on this weight as followers of Jesus when it comes to talking to others about our faith? It's almost like we feel like we're responsible for how the gospel is received, when in reality it's something we can't really control. As we close out our series today on the parables of Jesus, I'm so thankful one of the stories that Jesus tells, he <laughs> tells, illustrates this tension and reminds us, we are responsible for sowing the seed, 
but not for how the seed lands. The parable we'll be covering today that Jeremy read for us can be found in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The parable of the sower, or the soils, is an incredibly well-circulated story, so much so that I think people who don't even identify with a particular faith could probably pass a multiple-choice quiz on it. Let's look again at the passage. We're going to be picking up in verse 3 of chapter 13. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. I'm on the front part of the carpet, sorry, guys. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it had not much, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, Jesus just told us a very specific story, and he said something that you might hear a teacher say. Whoever has ears, let them hear. It's almost like a, did you catch that? Thankfully, the disciples who did have ears didn't quite understand what was going on. Just look at verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So Jesus actually explains the parable, and rather simply too. Soil one represents people who hear, but just don't respond to the gospel. Soil two represents people who hear and receive the gospel with joy, but quickly abandon it when life gets hard. Soil three represents people who receive the gospel, but worry keeps their faith from being shared. And then soil four represents people who hear the gospel, understand it, and then share the gospel with many people. So yeah, fastest sermon in the series, we're done. Um, can, can you imagine CB kids just getting into their groove and parents start showing up? The bottom line of this story, though, Jesus says, is the seed that falls in different soils will have different returns. And when we're talking about seed, I just want to be clear, he's talking about sharing the gospel, sharing the story of Jesus and the freedom that it brings. And when he talks about different soils, he's talking about people's hearts. Keep this in mind, because I know we could take this parable in a lot of different directions, but I want to focus on the farmer in this story, a part that Jesus doesn't offer up with a super easy explanation. Let's focus on the first half for right now, where Jesus is describing the story to the audience. Now, if, you're, if you think like me, you, one of your thoughts while hearing this brief story was, dang, this farmer has a weird field. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Why is there a path in the middle of his field? Aren't you supposed to take the rocks out? And I'm not a farmer, but shouldn't you at least weed it first? Anybody else feeling this? <laughs> I think there's a reason for that. So because I haven't been in the classroom in any meaningful capacity in the past year, I need you to indulge me. We're going to have a classroom moment. We're going to do an exercise so that I can see where we are as a group and maybe cater a little bit to what we see in the room. What you're going to do, it's very simple, is just create a picture of agriculture or farming in your brain. If you need to close your eyes and explore the details, go for it. What does it mean? What does it do? What does it look like? 
So go ahead and get started on that picture while I explain the rest of this exercise. So what I'm going to do is rattle off a couple words. If it matches or is adjacent or is somehow similar to the, uh, the picture that you have in your brain, I just need you to raise your hand for like two seconds, even though the lights are really hard, so I'm going to have to go like this. So go ahead and get started on that picture. Let's get a practice round in. This one doesn't count. This one's not on the test. The word is farm. If the word farm matches your picture of farm in your head, please raise your hand. Good. Many more than five people. We're on track. Okay, so let's get into it. First word's going to be barn. Next word, tractor. Seed. Irrigation. It means bringing the water to the plants. Crop circles. Anybody? Dang, I was hoping at least one. And animals. That's the last one, animals. Awesome. Thank you for entertaining me. So I would do stuff like this with my students because if we're going to look at a parable about farming in the first century in Israel, we have to make sure that we aren't bringing too many 20th or 21st century mindsets with us. Agriculture was just done very differently back then, and I don't mean done without machinery. First century farmers practiced agriculture in a way that might sound counterintuitive to us as Americans almost 20, or sorry, 2,000 years later. Back in Jesus' time, farmers rarely owned the land that they farmed. They would be assigned a portion of land to be responsible for, sometimes with multiple farmers in a given space. Farmers would often mark their plot with readily available landmarks, like trees or a pile of rocks. Fences weren't really used, and so walkways would be formed throughout the fields as farmers accessed their portion of land that they were responsible for, most probably by walking on these slightly unpermanent boundary lines. But as they walked on it, it would become much more permanent as they, as they traveled. In addition, rocks were either, oh, one second, slightly more permanent line on each farmer's plot. In addition, rocks were either left or even added to a field to retain groundwater. When farmers actually got to the farming part, they did so in a way that is fundamentally different from how we would as American or European farmers. They would sow their seeds first, then they would plow their field second. Think of it like making a smoothie with chia seeds or some kind of supplement. You're going to blend the different parts together before it's ready. It's the exact same thing with the sown field. After the harvest, and after a period of gleaning, and gleaning in this case was a practice that farmers would leave portions of their harvest in their field for people in need, after that period of gleaning, farmers would sometimes burn what remained, reintroducing minerals back into the soil. Then, animals were released into the field, further adding to the nutrients and minerals that were reintroduced to the soil. Thank you. I wasn't sure that was going to translate. Are you starting to notice, though, how the field described in the parable is beginning to be more recognizable? I can totally see how people in the crowd, as Jesus shared this parable, would readily picture the field he was talking about with ease. With a 21st century mindset, though, I always wondered why the farmer didn't just sow seeds on the good soil. So for a long time, I thought this parable was about making sure that the seed you sow lands on the good soil. Remember how Jesus clearly told us what the seed represents, the message of the kingdom. And for a long time, when I thought about sharing the good news of Jesus, I was so much more concerned with how the seed landed and the nature of the soil that it landed in that I missed what the farmer was doing. Did you notice? 
What was the farmer responsible for in the parable? Just scattering seed. That's it. They don't carefully plant one seed at a time. They don't pour or cram as many seeds into every square inch of their field as possible. The farmer just scatters seed. The farmer is just scattering seed, scattering the news of the kingdom of heaven. And I really appreciate Jeff, who preached last week, um, for some insight during one of our planning sessions for this series. Scattering is such a great word here. The good news we share about Jesus should be sent wide in as many directions as possible. And again and again, in the same way that a farmer isn't going to scatter seed just once. But I can totally see how as followers of Jesus today, if we're the farmers and sharing the story of Jesus as the seed, I can understand how many of us would be concerned with how the seed lands. It's almost as if we want to make sure that if we sow a seed, well, it's got to land on the good soil, or it's just a waste of perfectly good seed. We think the seed has to land on the good soil, otherwise it's a waste. I imagine us as a farmer. But before we pull a seed out of our bag, we examine the soil carefully. And if the soil meets our expectations, then with a pair of tweezers, we'll reach into our bag and grab one seed and carefully plant that seed into the ground, the soil that deserves our attention, slowly working through our field, choosing where our seed will best yield a harvest. Do you hear how at odds that sounds? So instead of farmers who sow seeds, we act like podologists who study soils. Maybe we'll look at someone like the first soil and think that any truth we've shared with them will just get snatched away before it can take root. They won't receive it. And any seed you sow might potentially damage the relationship you have with them. Maybe we look at people like the second soil, because life is so hard for them right now. And instead of faithfully sowing seed, we're worried that if they did respond, we would just watch their faith shrivel up because of great difficulty and pain. Or maybe we look at people like the third soil, because they're always worried about everything. Sure, they might accept the gospel, but there won't be any harvest. So because we want to be sure that we're farmers who get a harvest, we don't sow because what's the point if there's no fruit? I could be spending that time and effort on the good soil instead. If you've shared your faith at all since following Jesus, you've probably encountered one or maybe all of these. And each one can be incredibly painful to watch, especially those close to us that we're trying to share the news of Jesus with. It's easy to want to save our seeds and not waste them when we see these types of people. The problem is, we look at the outward appearance when only the Holy Spirit can see the condition of the heart. That's where you amen right there. <laughs> We're analyzing outwardly when the Spirit's working inwardly. In reality, though, any of these types of people could yield a harvest. But we won't know that, will we? We don't know the heart. We're just farmers. And do you remember what our farmer does in this story? The farmer scatters, handfuls at a time. I know I keep saying that, but it's so crucial. I don't know about you, but I find this so freeing and liberating. Because to some degree, this means that we as Christians are not responsible for how the gospel is received. In the classroom, this is around where I would pause and let students notice that an idea is, is pretty important. A good five to ten seconds really let that awkward silence become cavernous. 
And then I'd say, you should probably write this in your notebook. It might be on the test. To some degree, we are not responsible for how the seed lands or how the gospel is received. Thankfully, and feel free to, free to amen here, the weight is not on our shoulders for how the gospel is received. There we go. That is the domain of the Holy Spirit. This reminds me of something I saw all the time in my classroom. If a student wasn't hungry for knowledge that I was bringing them, there was nothing I could do to make sure they actually received it. It was out of my hands. But if a student was truly ravenous for knowledge that I was bringing, that I was presenting, I could do almost no wrong. And all the interesting little nuggets and pieces of history that normally would get overlooked were front and center. It truly was magical watching a student's mind expand and their intellect mature. For them, it was almost like school wasn't something to endure, but an experience to enjoy. We went from working on a subject to enjoying that subject together. I had been blessed, or I have been blessed, to not only have had that student in my room, but to have had multiple, sometimes more than a few in the same room. And man, those conversations were electric. Class was fun, and what's crazy to me was how students in the room who weren't as interested or invested in what was going on became engaged in the classroom and the discussion simply because one person received. The problem was I never completely knew who that student was going to be. Sure, I had an idea, I had an inkling, but I couldn't with certainty know. So every day I had to show up ready to sow seeds wide instead of with tweezers. I think this is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us through this farmer. We just need to be faithful in sowing seed. Even in the painful moments when we're watching over our field, we're called to be farmers who are spreading the gospel handfuls at a time because we're never really certain whose hearts are ready to receive it. There's something the disciples had to learn, or rather this is something the disciples had to learn, because later, after Jesus' resurrection, we see him command them to spread the gospel, sow those seeds. Look at what he says. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Do you see that? It's the whole creation, not just the good soil. And this is exactly what they do. If you remember a common theme in the book of Acts, the book of the Bible, where the disciples actually go and fulfill this command, they don't scope out the fertile soil that's already good for planting. They scatter the gospel all over like the farmer in our parable. People that everyone in culture overlooked or gave up on, those people had a chance because the disciples were faithful in sowing their seed. Oftentimes, at great personal peril, too. This is why I believe Jesus wants us to faithfully keep sowing in our field. How someone receives this seed isn't on our shoulders. Again, I don't know about you, but I find this very freeing and liberating. Even better, notice how Jesus doesn't go into the quality of the seeds that are being sown. Have you ever felt like your story isn't worth sharing? It's not strong enough? I have. I don't have a shiny I came to Jesus moment. Over the course of about a year, between sophomore year in high school to junior year in high school, through a, small, or a bunch of small decisions, a series of choices that were made, my faith grew from something my parents did and our family did to something that I did. My relationship with Jesus became. It would be easy to look at someone else's major conversion story 
and think your seed isn't strong enough. Think about the story of Saul in the book of Acts. This was a guy whose life was dedicated to rooting out Christians, throwing them in jail, and watching them be killed or executed. Then in Acts 9, on his way to another city to find Christians to persecute like this, he's intercepted by Jesus in a miraculous way and starts to follow him. He went from being one of the biggest enemies of the church to one of the most influential voices in the church, all in the space of probably about a month. So, what a testimony. That's probably why the church took off like it did, right? Nope. Nope. If you read the New Testament, you'll quickly realize the church was filled with normal people and ordinary stories. Yes, Paul's impact was massive, but it was the stories of each person in each city that established the church. None of them had Paul's stories, or Paul's story, but they had theirs. And while Paul was going all over the world, they were staying faithful to sowing the fields that they lived in. Can I just tell you today, your testimony is valid and valued to be scattered, regardless of its quality or polish? Your story is strong enough to be shared because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. We are responsible for sowing the seed, but not for where the seed lands. I want to caution everybody because at no point in the parable do I see Jesus ask us to conquer our fields. None of this is an excuse to be cantankerous for Christ. The farmer in our parable isn't building up snappy one-liners for when the soil rejects the seed, nor are they punching each seed into the field, really driving it in deep. That's not sowing seeds, that's forcing seed, which is not what we're supposed to do. Strong-arming someone to follow Christ can do way more harm than good. In actuality, our first century farmer is going to go back and till the field and cultivate it. Even the soils that don't grow a harvest or look poor for farming, those soils still get careful attention and cultivation because the farmer is faithful. So, where's your field? School year starting, and that means our fields are going to grow, expand, or change for everybody, not just kids and teenagers. You students, your field is going to be huge. And it might seem like there's more soils in that field than Jesus describes in his parable. It might seem like your field is too big to work alone. So start where you are, in the car, on the bus, by your lockers, in the hallways between classes, in that club, or on that team. There are plenty of fields. Just start where you are and remember that you just have to scatter seed. Jesus has got the rest. For those of us who are a little older, we have fields that need sowing too. Some of you are starting a new job or going back to college. Maybe you find yourself in a new neighborhood or the one that you grew up in. If you have kids and they play any type of sport or maybe they perform, you're going to be surrounded by other parents who are watching too. Don't worry about the soil. Worry about sowing faithfully. I know some of you are probably thinking, Brett, what are some ways to, I can practically sow then? Okay, let's get into it. How can I sow? It doesn't have to be super planned out. Remember, this is not a conqueror's battle plan. Sometime a simple, I'm praying for you, is the seed. That's it. But then actually pray for them and actually follow up. By you asking to see if Jesus answered that prayer, that person is going to know that you care. Try to be good at listening in a culture where people don't do that very well. 
Use a name tag. Actually see the person. That, it could be as simple as that. That is the seed that you sow. You should probably know your story. That's a practical way to, to sow. Have you ever written it out? Practice it with a fellow believer? Your story just has to be yours. It doesn't need to be perfect. Another way is simple invitation. Just to join you on a Sunday. I think a lot of people would actually love to be invited to Crossbridge. They just don't know it yet. This is an amazing church, and I'm not just saying that because I'm an elder. If they say yes to coming, though, um, please make sure you sit with them. Um, also, a great idea is just after service, invite them to lunch and pay for their lunch. Ask them to talk about the service. Actually communicate. If someone opens up about a struggle that you've dealt with, sit with them. Listen. Share how Jesus helped you in that same or similar struggle, but after you've listened to them. Sowing seeds in the fields around us is really just as easy as practicing what we've heard through this whole sermon series. Think about what Pastor Jimmy, Faith, Christiana, and Jeff said in the weeks before I ever got up here. When we die to our selfish desires, we'll begin to see new life in and around us. Maturity is a process, not a destination. Your testimony gets stronger the more you scatter it, and you can't control someone else's growth. In order to be the light, we must see the light. When your testimony leans on Jesus, it has his strength, not yours. All we can do is keep showing up and praying. Scatter seeds, handfuls at a time, over and over again. So, what type of farmer are you? Do you feel responsible to make sure that every seed is planted perfectly? Do you constantly analyze the soils to make sure you'll get a good harvest? If so, can I remind you that you're not responsible for their growth? Whether they respond or not isn't on your shoulders. You just have to keep sowing. Do you find yourself holding fistfuls of seed, trying to force them into the ground? Remember, you can't force Jesus on people. So ease up a little. Be patient. Are you the farmer who doesn't think their seed is any good, so it's not even worth sowing? Don't believe that lie. Your story is worth sharing. Or are you holding the seed God has given you with open hands, generously sowing wherever you go, and trusting that the Holy Spirit could do more than you ever could? Can you imagine what Crossbridge would look like if we took this next season and just kept sowing in whatever field we're in? Some of us might be in a situation where seed has already been scattered, and now you have to do the hard work and tend your field, eagerly praying for a good harvest. How can you scatter this week, next week, next month, next year? Let's pray as we pray, uh, prepare for communion. God, thank you for laying this on my heart. God, thank you for breathing through me. But God, I pray as we enter into this next season that you would, you would equip us with the simplicity of just sowing. God, that you would remind us that we don't have to bear the weight of how the gospel is responded to. God, that we're just responsible for sharing it. God, I, I pray that you would give us peace, that you would give us understanding to be able to sow and scatter seed correctly and not force and grind it into the ground. God, we thank you for everything that you have provided for us. In your most holy and abundant name, God. Amen.